Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. Good morning, everyone. Susan Finch here on the Funnel Radio Network with my show, Rooted in Revenue. And it is all about making our efforts count to generate revenue. And today I'm super excited. I have the author of Whale Hunting with Global Accounts. Okay, so I have Barbara Weaver-Smith, and we're going to talk about not her first book. You guys can catch up on that later and on her site. I'll put a link to both in the post, though. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the new book, which is Whale Hunting with Global Accounts, and to see why that is the natural next step. Barbara, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thanks, Susan. I'm thrilled to be on with you, and revenue is, is where it's at. So <laughs> it lets us do the things we want to do. You bet. Absolutely. So thanks so much for hosting me today. I appreciate it. So you have enjoyed a lot of success. It isn't, the the whale hunting concept isn't just your book. It's what you do. You teach people and companies how to do this. Exactly. And where, where the concept comes from, we studied the Inuit whale hunters who lived on the far northwest coast of Alaska. They started 6,000 years ago. And they were ordinary people, you know, not even really big people. And we got to wondering, how did they ever get up the courage to go out and bring in a 100,000-pound largest mammal on Earth and come to find out that they had wonderful processes that involved everybody in their village. And if they fished or they hunted for caribou, you know, they could have a meal or they could eat for a week. But when they brought in a whale, they could feed their village for a year. So that's the premise, and it's a, it's a beautiful fit. It's not just a hunt metaphor. It's all about how that village operated collaboratively to undertake this phenomenal operation, and they've been doing it. They still do it today, even using their old hunting tools. Now, they do, you know, use motor power to get to the beach, <laughs> but they still, they use their traditional tools. They do a hunt every spring, and they're phenomenal people. I love learning about them. So that's where the metaphor comes from. And there's, there's one important piece to that metaphor is the Inuit people did not understand that the whales were migrating to a warmer climate, or the winter and they came back every spring, they believed that the whales were reborn every year. So after they harvested the meat and the bone, they used everything on the whale, but they never touched the head. They would go to the trouble of taking the head back out into the sea and allow the head to sink because they believed that that creature was reborn. So that's what makes it a perfect metaphor. If the whale is your big client, perfect metaphor. Yes. Oh, that's where it comes from. I appreciate that story because I've, I've heard the term, you know, in gambling when they talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Whales are the big gamblers. Right. It wasn't very nice. I thought, yeah, she doesn't sound the type of person. No, I think it's a beautiful story and it's true. And so we call it ancient wisdom for modern business. I love that. There's so much wisdom that we've learned. Of course, it's not exactly the same, but it's a beautiful metaphor, and I love it every day. So this next book, the one yeah. that we're talking about, The Whale Hunting with Global Accounts, 
what is that transition like? We visited a little bit before we started yeah. recording, but if you could tell everybody yeah. else. Absolutely. Well, I work with small and mid-sized businesses, mostly with companies whose revenue has reached $10 million to $150 million a year. They're exclusively B2B companies, but they're all different kinds of industries within the B2B market from manufacturing to technology to all kinds of service firms, the whole gamut. And so I've been doing that since 2004 under the Whale Hunters brand. My company, my clients have been very successful. And so they go after bigger and bigger customers. And of course they wind up with enterprise clients. And those are almost by definition these days, they are multinational or global companies. And what I discovered is that my clients are a little bit afraid to think of them as global. They don't know what to do with them as global companies. They're working with one division or one office or one part of it. And they're very much trying to keep them, you know, local. They don't want to really deal with them in a global sense. And then, so they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to changes, we can talk a bit more about this, but they're vulnerable to organizational changes that the global company may make. They're vulnerable to decisions that are made, say in Europe or in India, uh, by the ownership that affect the United States operation that they're not aware of. Uh, they're vulnerable to bigger competitors coming in and offering to do a global solution. Customers think of themselves as a global company, but if you don't, just because you're small, then you're not really serving them the way they need to be served. So that prompted this book, because just because you're smaller doesn't mean you can't serve a global customer. I'm wondering with your clients that you help and help during this transition to help mm -hmm. get them to that next level, mm -hmm. do you find that a lot of the issue has to do with they are going against the ones that are more of a global mindset, but are also headquartered in other countries. So they already have that type of thinking a little bit more compared to US based or is it US based versus US based? I was just curious yeah. how that plays into it because we I, are so think, myopic. Yeah, I think more often they find that their competitors are US based, but a lot, of, a lot of my clients are in this kind of competition. A lot of them are selling services or, or they're serving IT companies, they're cloud companies, so they, theoretically they can sell an enterprise solution anywhere in the world and uh, they could grow to be anywhere in the world. Or they're selling, for example, they're selling training and they have a really good training solution and they're selling it, maybe they're, they're making a big sale. I don't mean they're making little sales, they're making a big sale, but if you have a great training solution that's working for a company in one division, then the odds are good that they're going to need something like that in another division. And so if you don't at least pursue that, you're leaving money on the table and also you're leaving yourself vulnerable to a bigger company or a more entrepreneurial company that's going to try to get that business. No, that makes sense. It is such a mindset. When I speak to people that are small business owners that are making a huge success mm -hmm. and when they do hit the same breaking point, it surprises me. The thing that intimidates them is, oh, they're in a country and I don't know that language. Is it really? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what's stopping you? Yeah. Chances yeah. are they know yours and yeah. bring a team member on then. 
Right, exactly. I mean, that would be worth it. That's what big companies do as they expand. They build partnerships. They, they have people in the other country who work with them, who deliver. It's not that you have to do it all yourself. I've had some companies, you know, that are small that have grown in fantastic ways with partnerships. Sometimes they acquire the partner as it grows. But look at even a huge, huge companies that do their business through resellers. Some of my oh, customers your marketing content are to do list? in the reseller Let or me. distribution Finch, your business. I'll help and you they're actually maybe they're representing Microsoft or Cisco in marketing, connecting, and they're building, a small sharing. company, but they're dealing with. We don't the always have the time supplier, to get it all done. Don't worry so about it. Part of I can take your network, one piece of content no and help reason. you use it and nine then their ways. Customers Who knew? And them do it while you're doing the part you like to do best. Let me help you. Let's go for the plan. I'll give you a plan. When it gets to be really important, you put the parts you want to do, and maybe I can do the rest for you. If not, I'll help you find somebody that can do the rest for you. Why is that Some a, of the things a I like good to idea do right now as opposed to, I'm going to just say niche. Training I'm videos. Niche. I love I know, doing training that videos. That's the excuse. But companies that have the same the task, they have to teach staff not risk, over and over. Grow, or maybe it's complex. To not try and, change, and they have people that come in temporarily. Like you said, though, we're or not, they have a high turnover. Whatever it is, I can help you You're just asking them to make sure they do everything Depends on what kind of niche you're talking about. You're having to stop what you do to teach them how to do it. a certain kind of sales training. Branding That's and logo different packages. Than if you're niche and website cleanup. Terra Haute or something like that. You know, I mean, I, your site if to make sure it's niche is local, then I, to make you're sure really not coming you to me promote as a whale hunter. If you want to be a whale hunter, then you're probably ready Sometimes to you just need expand an outside, outside your region. Whale hunters are typically, it's not necessarily a throwaway do-over. But if they live in New York or Chicago or LA, they can be really big whale hunters in a local area. But, you know, a, a lot of my customers don't live in big metropolitan areas. And I do. I live Phoenix suburb. But right now, I don't have any local clients. They're all over the country. So I just go where they are. It's irrelevant, really, these right. days, where they are. If you have services that are applicable to big companies, even I have a lot of marketing company clients. And a lot of them provide services to big companies that big companies like them because they can do things fast. They're agile. They can do certain things fast. And they, all the big companies have agencies of record. They have their traditional marketing firms that do all kinds of things for them. But they don't they're not necessarily on the cutting edge of a new innovation. They were slower to get into digital, for example. And so they use smaller, more boutique firms for all kinds of things. Maybe for a new product rollout or maybe uh, for certain kinds of customer experience or customer service things. And so if you have that kind of expertise and the company wants it, they're going to want it everywhere, not necessarily just in Kansas City, you know. So um, that's how I define the, the niche, really, you know, um, where does it fit in the company? And so it, it may fit in multiple parts of the company. I found that for my own services, doing podcast production, mm -hmm. it's interesting because a lot, of, a lot of companies know they need to do it, but they don't have anybody there. Yeah. But you still need, they need somebody that can slip in and work with marketing, but not add to marketing's load. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. And so it's that same great time. example. Absolutely. It's a great example of where a small firm has a big advantage. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about trade issues or trade wars. We're going to talk about what it, one of my favorite terms in this business is concierge. <laughs> great. And what it means to be one. So we will be back. I'm Susan Finch with Funnel Radio Network, and this is Rooted in Revenue. For those of you who are overwhelmed with your marketing and content to-do list, there is help on the way. You can let Susan Finch, our host, lighten your load. Creating strategic, thoughtful solutions to time shortage problems in marketing, connecting, building, sharing all the tasks that you dread. She can take your one piece of content and help you use it nine different ways while you keep doing what you do best, which is probably selling or designing or putting your business together. If you have the time, she can help you create your content engagement plan, too, and you pick and choose what you want to do. It's a menu of options. Some of her favorite tasks for clients include things like video training libraries for the most common tasks you have, those tasks that you're tired of training people to do over and over again. How about branding and logo packages? Everybody's interested in that. Or the one I'm always intrigued by, site thin out and update. When's the last time you took a weed whacker to your site or updated it with new information? She can also do social media posting. She can plan and produce your podcast. Her mantra is very simple. Create, inspire, advocate, ignite, and then repeat. If that's a formula you'd like to put into effect in your business, there's only one place to go to, SusanFinch.com. Check it out, Susan Finch. All right, we're back. I'm Susan Finch, and my guest today is Barbara Weaver-Smith, and we are talking about her second book, and that is Whale Hunting with Global Accounts. And we have been talking about, hey, guys, you can do it too, but you have to be willing to change and open up your minds. That's your biggest stopper, is thinking that you are not global and you don't serve global accounts, but you serve big accounts. Right. Why not go the next step? Barbara, welcome back. Thank you, Susan. One of the things that I want to talk about, can you tell me any nice stories? Tell me something that's wonderful that's happened to a couple of your clients. I, I had a, an unbelievable story come to me not long ago. A person um, sent me this story uh, through a LinkedIn email, and he said that he had countered my book at a time in his life when it happened that his wife had become very ill. And he was really worried for his future, and he had applied the principles in uh, of the principles of whale hunting. And as a consequence, he had sold the biggest deal that he had ever sold. And the upshot was that he had all the money that he needed to help his wife fight the illness, and, and that she had successfully recovered, oh. and that he was a whale hunter for life, and he gave me all this credit. So that was a heartwarming kind of a story. Yes. A, a, more, a more normal story. I have <laughs> a client, client in, uh, that I worked with for a couple of years, a firm just outside of Kansas City. They're called Pro Pharma Group. They were a, a good-sized but small company when I worked with them. They do all kinds of engineering services for the pharma industry, and they were already working with major, major pharma companies. In fact, they, they were doing business with 24 of the 25 largest pharma companies 
in the world and they had multiple services that they, they were doing very well, but they were struggling with what their growth pattern should be. And they had a, a lot of issues. I worked with them for a couple of years and they've been a, they've been a great reference for me moving forward. But the upshot of that was they were able to sell their company. They have just blossomed. They are really becoming a big company. They've made a number of acquisitions and the founder owner who was directly my client is now chairman of the board and he's not in management any longer and he's moving on to uh, new adventures of his own. That's been a great story. I've had several client customers that I worked with when they were very small and they've had huge acquisitions. I love your enthusiasm to share in their success. Oh yeah, so, I love I mean, that. It's, That's it's what like it's a, all like about. A proud parent. Yeah. <laughs> Let's tackle something a little bit more current and in the news too. Yeah. How does your book relate to the trade issues or you know trade wars that are so big? Yeah. Everything that's going on and the limitations. Yeah, well, a lot of small business owners think of of the trade wars. If they're if they're manufacturers, then they're really up on what's going on with trade. But if they're in the service industries, which a lot of my customers are in service industries, then trade has more to do with manufactured products than, than services. And so they might not be thinking about it, but it's easier to trade services than it is manufactured products. And so you don't have the, you don't have the same kind of limitations of trade wars necessarily. And there's no reason to not be exchanging services with other countries. Do you find when you're clients do make that transition though to expand into the international their learning curve or their stumbling blocks how does multicultural play into it i've had more i didn't know the nuances of dealing in this country oh i didn't know the simple <laughs> things like all the holidays There's yeah so many, yeah oh my gosh they take so many holidays absolutely <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the reasons I did write this book, because you have to be aware of cultural differences, of course. If you're dealing with a multicultural, if you're dealing with a multinational company, the odds are good you're already dealing with multicultural issues inside that company, because they're going to have leaders who come from all different parts of the world, and they may have management that's not U.S. management. And so that hits you right in the face. <laughs> as far as the decision-making process, you think you're dealing with typical U.S. methodologies of how things get decided, and all of a sudden you learn that the final decision is made in France, or it's made in Denmark, or it's made in India, and it's completely different methodology. You're dealing with, I had a client who was dealing with people in Texas, but the ownership was in France. And so everything takes 10 times longer than, than they expect. Things pop up that they think are unusual. They think it's signs that everything's going wrong. And they need to understand that it's just how the French do business as opposed to how the Texans do business. <laughs> and these were, these were Canadian clients anyway. So we try to negotiate between Canadians doing business with Texans and you have Oh you know, that's culture to begin with. So you're too nice for Texas. <laughs> right. That's one of the things that I think is important is don't try to go everywhere in the world at once. You know, if you, if you want to go to Asia, you know, then pick an Asian country. Like it, it's a lot easier for Americans to do business in India than it is in China. 
Right. Because Indian people, their, their whole culture, certainly their business culture is much closer than ours, than a, Chine a Chinese business culture is very foreign to ours, whereas an Indian business culture, since it is a corporate-owned culture, whereas China is a state-owned culture. So there are, you know, there are easier plays. So you don't want to do all of the world at once. So if you want to go to Europe, go to the UK, or go to a Scandinavian company and learn how that operates, find yourself a partner. The stakeholders become so critical, identifying exactly. them, especially in that arena. It's one, like you said, it's one thing if I'm dealing with everybody in Texas. Right. I, I kind of have a feel and know how that's going to mm -hmm. go. There's that division of power, but mm -hmm. when it's division of power in different cultures, you mm -hmm. really need to be prepared. But the beauty of it is if you already, if you have a client, yes. you already have a client who's a multinational client, then they can help you navigate. They can make the introductions, they can take you there, or you can meet people when they're coming to visit the other location. So you don't have to just go willy-nilly and start up a new business in another company. True. You can go inside of a company that you know. But they need both your books. They need whale hunting and well, whale yeah. hunting. Yeah. With global accounts. One of the points that you cover though is, what do you mean by the small company's concierge? Oh, well, that's, that's my word for it. If you're an American company, the United States Department of Commerce, not the chamber, but the U.S. Right. Department of Commerce in the government, they have a division called the U.S. Export Assist, and their job is to help American businesses deal with international trade. Oh. And there's offices all over the country in most big cities in every state. They're in every single state. And they can, they can take you on a trade mission. If you want to be part of a trade mission to another company, then you have to, you have to pay some for that. Right. But you can be part of a trade mission. They do workshops. They can introduce you to partners overseas. They can help you learn everything you need to know legally and culturally about how to do business as an American business overseas. And they're a great treasure. I worked with them a lot when I was still in Indiana. I was very good friends with them and uh, took advantage of a lot of, of their knowledge to bring to my clients. When we were still in Indiana, we had a big collaboration space that was part of our offices. So we, in addition to using it with our clients for events, we were able to allow other organizations to use it as well. So we co-hosted some events with the people from the U.S. Export Assistance, and they were able to come in and use our space and, and have other lo you know, local business people come in and participate with speakers and workshops and things that they did. So I got to know them. Since I don't deal in international, pretty much I stay very local, but I didn't even know about this. Yeah, well, most people don't. <laughs> most people don't. That's okay. why I've, I'm a big evangelist for them because it's a one, it's wonderful service and they're very interested in small business, not just big business. And there's so much opportunity for small business. Thank you for sharing that tip. We'll put that sure, in the post. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't, you don't have to figure this all out by yourself. You know, it's not something that you shouldn't consider, especially if you're going to have big clients. Right. You need to think about it though. So we are out of time, Barbara. It well, went so fast. so fast. I know. <laughs> what is the best way for people to reach you? You can reach me, Barbara, at thewhalehunters.com 
or come to my website and leave a message or we have a lot of free stuff. You have Take tons of free around. stuff. Yeah, I saw we that. Have, yeah, we have lots of resources on the website. So visit thewhalehunters.com. See what we're up to. And both books are there too. They are indeed. Wonderful. Barbara, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate well, it's it. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for the invitation and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. This has been Susan Finch with Rooted in Revenue on the Funnel Radio Network. You can find us at rootedinrevenue.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Blueberry, anywhere where you listen, that's where we are. And you can find all the great shows at FunnelRadio.com. We have a ton that we produce every week. Be a part of it or subscribe to all the shows. Thanks so much. Never miss an episode. Check out RootedInRevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We want to be where you are, so go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing of events and your online presence.